So, <laughs> it's fair to say this last week has been a historic week, to say the least. I don't think it's also fair to say that nothing will ever really be the same again. Donald Trump's election victory leaves the American political arena utterly changed. Both the Republican and the Democratic parties are now in total flux, searching for new identities in a new era. His election marks a profound shift in our political arena. What we thought was possible or was impossible is now possible and real. The world becomes, became a different place on Tuesday. And so I find it oddly, I don't know, fascinating, I guess is maybe not quite the right word, but I'm going to run with it, fascinating that we have this gospel reading this morning <laughs> given to us not by me, but by a schedule of readings set years ago. And as someone mentioned at the 8 o'clock, I'm not even going to mention the Malachi reading, the first reading, so, um, but i let the reader have ears to hear. Now, only time will tell whether Trump's presidency will be a disaster or, as President Obama hoped, a success because it would mean a success for our country. But this gospel reading speaks of a time of profound change. And as such, I believe it has something deeply critical to say to us. Of course, this lesson begins with Jesus predicting the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, an event that will forever change Judaism. It will never be the same after the temple is destroyed. As the lesson begins, Jesus and his disciples are exiting the temple. In there, they have been in conflict and in, and in conversation with folks. And Jesus has been critical of the way that the temple authorities have misused their position and authority by exploiting the poor and the faithful. And yet, as they leave the temple, the disciples simply cannot deny just how majestic the structure is. The stones are massive. The architecture is brilliant. And more than just being an impressive structure, more than just the actual physical presence of the building, the temple is a place that that held the heart, it, that was held, that we can't underestimate how deep the temple held as a place in the hearts and minds of Jews, and maybe in Jesus' disciples in particular. For you see, it sits at the, at the center of their religious life and at the center, center of their relationship with God. For them, the temple acts as an outward sign of God's presence and God's faithfulness. How could it be destroyed? And so with this in mind, how do you hear Jesus' voice? 
When he says the temple is to be destroyed, I hear in his voice a mixture of, of grim and a mixture of sad when he tells the disciples what is coming. For indeed, he knows what the destruction of the temple will mean for them. He knows that as he tells them, and as they look at the structure itself, it is simply beyond their ability to comprehend that not one stone will be left upon another. And indeed, for them, there must have been something vaguely blasphemous about the idea that the the temple could come down. For the disciples, as they stand there with their mouths agape, what Jesus has to say must sound like the end of the world. And that is why they ask about signs. That's why they ask these questions about when will it happen and how will we know. And indeed, on one level, maybe it is the end of the world or an end of a world. For indeed, their world will never be the same. And yet Jesus is not talking about the end of the world here, at least not yet. He's talking about the meantime. He's talking about the the in-between time. He warns them not to, to run after false messiahs and prophets. He tells them not to be terrified in the face of wars and earthquakes, famines, and plagues. He tells them that there will be signs that make them think that everything is crumbling and falling apart. Dreadful portents and great signs from heaven, he says. And moreover, he tells them that they will be persecuted and they will be betrayed, that they will be handed over to the religious and civil authorities. He tells them that even their own families will betray them. He even says that some of them will die. He tells them all of this matter-of-factly. He tells them all that this is just the way it will be, that this is just the way it is, This is life. The temples fall and wars happen and families sometimes betray. The question for the disciples and I think for us as well becomes then so what or or now what? Or how are we to live? Woven Through all of the disasters that Jesus is describing, Jesus tells them how to respond. In the face of the one who says, I am he, Jesus says, do not go after him. In the face of of wars and famines and all that, Jesus tells them to persevere because the end will not follow immediately. In response to to persecution and betrayal, Jesus tells them, tells his disciples, 
to testify and to witness. Not in in language that will be soaring or well-prepared rhetoric, but rather in plain speech and in clear actions. For indeed, Jesus says that he will give the words and the wisdom that none will be able to contradict to the disciples and to all who would proclaim the good news of God's kingdom in the face of the power of death. And this gift of words and wisdom is the key to how we are to respond to disaster. For we are to to bear witness. And Jesus promises that we will not have to do it alone. He promises that he will give words and wisdom. He promises that in the face of death, not a, a hair of our heads shall perish. He promises that as we persevere, we will find our true lives. By your endurance, you will gain your souls, he says. Now, I don't, I don't know what this new world that last Tuesday ushered in looks like yet. And as you can probably tell, and to be honest with you, it's fair to say that I am deeply worried. This doesn't feel like a normal election or a transition from one party's control of the White House to the other. But I do pray that I'm wrong. But I do know what this election has brought with it. I do see that that hate crimes are on the rise. I see people who are using this election as an excuse to lash out to their neighbors who are different. And as a result, I see the fear. I see the, the fear that Muslims and women and immigrants and people of color, the LGBT community, and more are all experiencing. In our nation, there is, there is a coarsening that is happening as hatreds that have been under the surface are now coming into the light, as voices of dehumanization are now being amplified. We cannot allow this to become normal. In the face of such things, Jesus tells us that this will give us an opportunity to testify. The church of Jesus Christ must bear witness to the inherent dignity and worth of every human being. We must stand against racism and sexism and homophobia for they are sins that deny that each and every person is created in the image and likeness of God. We must work for freedom and peace because we serve the Prince of Peace 
And we must stand in solidarity with the vulnerable and the marginalized in whatever form and persuasion they might take. Because to do so is to stand with Jesus. At the end of the day, our hope is not set on which political party is in power. Rather, as St. Paul wrote, our hope is set on Christ. No matter what comes, our tasks as, the member, as members of the body of Christ do not change. We are still to bear witness to God's inclusive love. We are still to bear witness to God's triumph over sin and death. Jesus promises to give us the words and the wisdom. He promises to be with us. He promises that no matter what, not a single hair on our heads will perish. And he promises that by our endurance, by our endurance, we will gain our souls. Amen.